Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. We're giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. And now, here are the doctors. Well, John, I think we have a great show lined up for today, as usual. Um, you know, we're going to be talking about myths. Yes. All types of myths. The whole entire show. The whole show is about myths. We're going to start off talking about stock market myths. There are a lot of conceptions about the stock market that people have that are just flat wrong, you know, that just don't hold up, you know, to reality. And so we're going to point those out because they're pretty common out there. And um, I think it'll be very enlightening for a lot of people. Yeah, we're, we're myth busters today. We are myth busters. I like that. That's right. And uh, Mr. Ramsey has a good good um, uh, myth um, article as well. Six common money myths to avoid and looking at debts and car payments. And uh, you can probably imagine if you're a Dave Ramsey fan out there listening, what some of his myths are going to be. But um, as always, he's entertaining, and uh, we'll, we'll kind of dive into that and, and bust some of those myths and make sure people understand what's the truth on some of this uh, money stuff we talk about. Yeah, on our myth week here. Yeah, that's myth right. Myth busting week. Yeah, by the way, I'm Steve Marbert. I'm a certified financial planner and a Dave Ramsey Smart Vester Pro with over 20 years experience providing financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis. I'm also a Dave Ramsey Smart Vester Pro. I have an MBA in finance and have been helping corporations and individuals with planning for over 25 years. We're excited to have you listen to us today on our weekly show. Our podcast are up every week on Friday afternoon. Yeah, go to our website, moneymd.net. Um, with Steve, we have a lot of resources out there from the podcast. Uh, we have videos, educational videos. Uh, we have a new um, uh, retirement calculator that we've just put out there. So we're trying to put a lot of good resources that our clients and the community can uh, can kind of go to and, and get the uh, the real story on some of the, the things that we talk out there. And we're going to bust some of those myths in a couple of minutes. But um, we have a Facebook page. Um, we talk about that. Go check that out. We have uh, prescription of the week that we take videos of and stick them out there as well. So. A lot Absolutely. of places. A lot of good resources out there. And do check us out on our website where you can link to us there. You can ask us your questions. We'd love to hear from you. You can see all our previous shows or hear all our previous shows as John talked about. And then also you can email us directly if you prefer at info at moneymd.net. Well, John, uh, before we jump into our Money Mythbusters week here, we're going to start off with the financial fact of the week. Yeah, this comes from uh, Credit Suisse. And uh, talking about retail stores, Steve, you know, uh, we did a segment last week on uh, investing in individual stocks is um, uh, is a fool's game. <laughs> it doesn't typically yes. doesn't work. You can certainly hit the right stock, but only four uh, percent of stocks have actually amounted to all the return uh, over time. Right, four percent of them. That's so amazing. And this is one of the reasons. There's been fifty three hundred retail stores that have closed. Um, you know, this year, and that was actually through June of 2017. So more than 200 per week. Wow. And, the, and the driver, a lot of it's probably Amazon, right? Right. right. Amazon so change, with the one click. Very easy. Change in retail. The face of retail has just changed forever. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's driven a lot of retailers out of business. That's so. right. So if you would have purchased Amazon stock, you've probably done very well. If you had owned JCPenney, Target, Macy's, those kind of stocks, which a lot of people do own, you haven't done so well. It's not that we're not all buying retail stuff. We're we're buying just as much stuff as we've ever bought. Just a different. We're just buying method. it in a different model. We're buying it online. So you know all the traditional retailers are are going by the wayside, and uh, like you said, that leads up to your previous point that you know as we talked about last week, and that is that only four percent of stocks in the market 
create all the returns. And Amazon's one of those big ones mm-hmm. that has just, you know, gone gangbusters. Yep. But who knows who it's going to be in the future. You can't pick them ahead of time. That's the point. So uh, great fact of the week. Okay, that leads up here to our first topic, and that is stock market myths. Um, yeah, I mean, John, there are, this is an article out of Investopedia, by the way, recent article. And, you know, they point out that there are a plethora of stock market myths out there, things that, that people kind of associate with the stock market <clears throat> that are, are folklore, if you will. I mean, they're not, they're not just simply not true. So we're going to go through those. But, you know, when you have fiascos like the Enron bankruptcy, auditing scandals, and analysts, you know, have conflicts of interest that occur, investor confidence can be at an all-time low. You know, many investors wonder whether or not investing in the stock market is worth all the hassle and the risk. And at the same time, however, you know, it's important to keep a realistic view of, of how the stock market works. Regardless of the real problems out there, common myths about the stock market often arise. And so we're going to take a look at some of these top myths about the market and what the truth is about these things. The first one, though, is that investing in stocks is just like gambling. The reasoning, you know, that many people have this, uh, they use this reasoning as a kind of a reason to, to shy away from the stock market altogether, just to avoid investing in stocks. And to understand why investing in stocks is inherently different from gambling, we need to review what it means to buy a stock. A share of stock is actual ownership in a company. It entitles the holder to claim on a claim on the assets as well as a fraction of the profits and the earnings that the company generates. Too often, investors think of shares as simply like trading a vehicle. You know, they forget that stock represents actual ownership in a company that's creating value. Yeah, and we talked about this um, again last week that uh, the best way to invest in stocks is through mutual funds, right? Mutual funds have have historically had a good track record. We're not trying to predict the future here. But when you look at the stock market, the price of a stock is a function of the future earnings. So when you take all the noise away from the news media and so forth, um, future earnings um, are key, and those are discounted back to today's dollars to arrive at a price that most analysts believe the company is worth. So they're looking in the future and they're trying to figure out what the earnings are going to be and they discount those back. And this is why the stock price fluctuates. I mean, the outlook for business conditions is always changing and so are the estimates of the future earnings for our company. So there's detailed calculations that go on for every single stock that try to figure out what's a fair price. Right. Analysts are busy doing this every single day, assessing the value of a company and it's it's not easy. It's not an easy practice. I mean, there are so many variables involved that <clears throat> the short-term price movement appears to be somewhat random, like the random walk theory, you know, the famous book, mm-hmm. Random Walk Down Wall Street. Um, and however, though, over the long term, a company is only worth the present value of the profits that it will make um, and the earnings that it will make. In the short term, a company can survive without profits because the expectations of future earnings can still carry the the company forward. But no company can fool investors forever. Eventually, a company's stock price can be expected to show the true value of the firm over time. On the other hand, gambling in Las Vegas is a zero-sum game with casinos getting a big cut. You know, it merely takes money from the loser, gives it to the winners, minus the house is cut. 
No value is ever created in that scheme. Um, by investing, though, we increase the value, the overall wealth of the economy, <clears throat> as that capital is put to work in real companies that are out there creating value. Um, as companies compete, they increase productivity, they develop products that can make our lives better. So don't confuse creating wealth <clears throat> um, in the stock market with real companies, with the gambling zero-sum game like going to Las Vegas. Yeah, that's good. So we, we busted that myth. I think we, we understand that one well now. The second one here, a second myth is the stock market is an exclusive club which only brokers and rich people can make money. And, and many market advisors claim to be able to call the markets every turn. The fact is that almost every study done on this topic has proven that these claims are false. I mean, most market prognosticators are notoriously inaccurate. And furthermore, the advent of the Internet has made the market much more open to the public than ever before. All the data and research tools previously available only to new brokerages are now there for individuals to use. And it's easier than ever to uh, to get help with your investments. There's a lot of, you know, um, advisors that you can go to, but there's also other companies, the Swabs, the Vanguards, the Fidelities, that you can open up an account for 100 bucks. So yeah, it's, it's open to the public. Tremendous resources out there available for everybody nowadays. And, you know, and you, I mean, actually, individual investors have some advantages over institutional investors because individuals, they can afford to, to kind of be long-term oriented. They can buy a well-diversified portfolio. But the big money managers out there are under extreme pressure to get high returns every single quarter to beat their benchmark. Um, you know, their performance is often scrutinized that they can't invest in so much so that they can't invest in opportunities that take some time to develop or a well-diversified portfolio that will do well over time. You know, they're under a lot of pressure to perform immediately, you know, kind of like kind of like football teams. Mm -hmm. Yes, you know, that's right. Some perform, some don't. That's right. And some <laughs> people get fired because of it. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Having that long term, um, you know, vision is, is necessary. It definitely is. Yeah. So individuals, they have the ability to patiently look beyond the temporary downturns in favor for the long term picture and you know being well diversified it really is the key to that yeah another um myth here steve is that uh, a stock that's down dramatically will always go back up eventually and um, whatever the reason for this myth's appeal nothing is more destructive to the amateur investor than thinking that an individual stock trading you know near a 52 week low is a good buy i mean think of this in terms uh, the old Wall Street adage, those who try to catch a falling knife only get hurt. So yeah. it doesn't mean it always comes back up. And as a matter of fact, again, we go back to that study we looked at last week. Exactly. Most of them don't. Yeah, the most popular return that we looked at last week in that study was minus 100%. That's right. Where they lost it all. Yep. I mean, basically, that was the that was the high, the, the, out of all the, the stocks common. he studied, that was the most common result over time, you know, so it's interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, suppose you look at two stocks. You have one company. It's a popular company, and it's it's trading around $50 at one time, but then it falls suddenly to $10 a share. And then so it's down, you know, 20, 80%, I guess, to $10 a share from 50. And then you have another up-and-coming company, kind of a smaller company perhaps, that's recently gone from $5 a share to $10 a share. So which stock would you buy? Well, believe it or not, all things being equal, the majority of investors will choose the stock that has fallen from $50 a share to $10 a share because typically it's a name they recognize, for one, and also because they believe that it will eventually go back up to those levels again. 
So it's kind of hindsight bias. Mm-hmm. You know, they're looking at what's happened in the past, long-term f- past, not not what's happening in the present. So thinking of it this way, you know, the cardinal sin to investing um, is doing exactly that. It's it's buying things that are that have fallen dramatically, thinking that they're going to come back up. You know, price is only one part of the investing equation. The goal is to buy good companies at reason at a reasonable price. Buying companies solely because their market price has fallen will get you nowhere. But don't confuse that practice with value investing, which is buying high quality companies that are undervalued by the market. That's a proven academic principle that does work well in a in a well diversified portfolio, but not on an individual stock basis. Yeah, that's right. That's a good one, Steve. And uh, number four here is that stocks that go up must come down. I mean, the the law of physics does not apply in the stock market. There's no gravitational force that pulls stocks back to even. So just because a stock or the market in general has doubled in value, it doesn't mean that it can't do it again. Because remember, stock prices are driven higher by increases in earnings over time and the expectation that it'll continue. So the market and the individual stocks are valued relative to their their future earnings and their revenue. So if their earnings and their revenue go up and they continue to do well, the price can rise without being considered overvalued. Um, you know, a stock that doubles in value can still be considered a, a low valuation um, than before if the earnings or the revenue have gone up at a higher rate. So think about Amazon's a great example. Yeah, right? Their price <clears throat> continues to go up. Uh, you know, it's because their their expectations continue to go up as well. Right. So it can still be a very <clears throat> fairly priced uh, stock out there. Yeah. And we're not trying to tell you that the stock market or or individual stocks never undergo a correction. That That's certainly not true. I mean, the point is that stock price uh, is a reflection of the company. And if earnings and revenues are growing, then there's no reason to think that a stock or the market in general cannot continue to rise. So, and then the last one here is having just a little bit of knowledge um, because it's better than none is enough to pick stocks and invest in the stock market. (laughs) You've heard the old saying, a little bit of knowledge is dangerous. Mm -hmm. Well, that's kind of, there's probably no better example than that than investing in the stock market. Yeah. Knowing something is generally better than nothing, but it is critical in the stock market that individual investors have a clear understanding of what they're doing with their money or they get some help. You know, it's those investors who have little knowledge and are overconfident that get into big trouble. You know, when it comes to investing, one of the most important things to know is your limitations. Um, so, but don't fret, you know, you, you don't have to, to, you have, you don't have to time, uh, you don't have to take a lot of time to fully understand what you're doing with your money. You know, you can, you can work with an advisor um, who can help you make smart choices um, you know, you can take a very diversified approach by, you know, buying a target date fund or something like that. Um, the cost of mistakes by investing in something that you don't fully understand can far outweigh the cost of using an investment advisor. So keep that in mind for conclusions, though. I mean, forgive us for not for ending here on a um, well, cliche, but it's another old adage that's worth repeating. You know, what's obvious is obviously wrong. So that means that knowing a little bit will only have will only have you following the crowd like a sheep. Um, like anything worth worth anything, successful investing takes effort or help the help of an expert. A fully a partially informed investor is about as effective as a partially informed surgeon. 
he or she will only hurt themselves and hurt those around them. Yeah, that's so, scary. Partially informed surgeons. Yeah, right. <laughs> Boy. Scary example. But uh, all right, good topic. And that leads us up here to our question of the week. The question is, Is am I required to take an RMD from a Roth account? And the answer is under the current tax law, um, no. You do not have to take a required minimum distribution um, from a Roth account. However, as most people do know, a traditional IRA um, you you do have to take an RMD at age 70 and a half. So uh, Roths are a little bit different. Now, I've heard, you know, rumblings at some point from a tax standpoint, they could change that rule. But today, no, you don't have to take an RMD. Yeah, and that's one of the reasons why we love Roths is the fact that you can put it out there and you can leave that money tax deferred, tax free, you know, forever, really, you know, till you, till you pass away and leave it to your kids. So you can hold it to the very end. So um, it's a great tool. We like Roth IRAs, don't have an RMD on them. So yes. very, very important point. And that leads up here to our next topic, and that is more money myths, <laughs> the six common money myths to avoid. Yeah, this is from uh, Dave Ramsey. And, um, it, you know, it, most of us, Steve, has, have made a few fool, foolish money mistakes uh, here sure. and there. Yep, yep. It's maybe it's a car that you couldn't afford, the, the personal loan that you should not have, never have made or Maybe it's the mortgage that nearly sent you into bankruptcy. Um, so why do we keep making these money mistakes? I mean, most likely we mismanage money because of a faulty belief system. We don't quite understand um, the real story behind some of these concepts. Um, maybe we bought into some of the culture's most popular money myths. And a lot of times we've learned them from maybe a well-meaning but misinformed parent or maybe a teacher or a friend that didn't really understand the concepts either. And, you know, while it would be easy to sit back and blame others for, for falling into these money myths, the most important thing is to realize that these are myths and, and understand the different pieces so you can not only not make these mistakes yourself, but also you can help your kids and grandkids. Exactly. Yeah, and the first one on here is a pretty common one, John, and that is that debt is a tool. I mean, we've heard that a lot of times. I'm sure I have. The truth is tools you know, they tend to help you fix things, right? Other tools can help you break things. So in that sense, maybe debt is a tool, but it's a sledgehammer to your financial future. Yep. So it's not a good tool. Um, another way of putting it, debt is the enemy of your income and your income is the real tool. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, the monthly payments that you send to credit card companies or monthly savings that you could be putting to your retirement, your kid's college or your down payment on your new house, um, you know, that's, that's where your money's going instead. It's going to credit card companies. So you don't want that to happen. Your income is the most important wealth building tool that you have. Don't surrender it to debt. Yeah. I like that. Debt is the enemy of your income. Never heard him say that before, but it's a good one. Makes sense. Certainly. Another one here, Steve is car payments are a way of life. I mean, we have heard Dave talk a lot about this and we certainly have spoken uh, to it as well. But if you believe debt is a tool, you're just as likely to believe car payments are a way of life as well. The average car payment these days is over $500 per month. Think about that. We, we talk about that. People driving their retirement. They are. I mean, that's over $6,000 a year. You're putting into something that decreases in value. So think about Dramatically. that. Dramatically. Instead, save that money every single month for a year and buy a nice used car for $6,000 and then you take that $6,000 and you put it into retirement and you start building wealth versus not. Yeah, and we've talked about this before. You know, all you have to do is get ahead of it one time with a car payment, right? I mean, with a car. Save the money up ahead of time. Pay cash for your car. 
and then continue to save that money every month. So then you'll have money for a brand new car if you want it down the road in five years. You know, when you would have been paying your making your car payments, now you're you're saving that money in a car fund and it's growing and the interest is compounding for you rather than against you. All you have to do is get ahead of it once. You're going to pay for the car one way or the other. That's right. Let's just get ahead of it and that's pay right. for it with cash. So the myth, car payments are a way of life. Eh, that's not not correct. Another myth here, Steve, is loaning money to your family shows that you care. Uh, the truth is loaning money to family members is a terrible idea because it rarely gets paid back. And if it does, the time between, you know, always makes for, you know, awkward family dinners. I mean, when Uncle Jim mentions his upcoming vacations at Thanksgiving dinner, you're left wondering, well, he still owes me $500, but he's going on a vacation that he can pay for. So, you know, another strategy here is if you've got the money, make it a gift. I mean, don't make it a loan. Loaning money to a family member is one of the quickest ways to ruin a relationship, and you're essentially gifting debt to your to your family. So um, the myth, loaning money to your family shows your care is not is not accurate. It no, causes a lot more problems. That's right. And oftentimes you're just enabling them to make more bad decisions. So um, be very careful about loaning money to family. The next one here is you can't go to college without student loans. Um, yeah, I mean, that's a tough one here. You know, I mean, the, the truth is, I mean, Dave says you absolutely can. It will, will it be easy? Probably not. Will it be worth it? Absolutely. You know, whether it's through college-specific scholarships, grants, federal or state aid, um, aid that's not a loan, that is, going to college without debt is completely possible. And what about paying for college out of your own pocket? You know, Rachel Cruz talks about college planning all the time. Um, There are definitely alternatives to loans when it comes to funding college tuition. So, you know, you need to take a look at those. Yeah, I mean, many colleges offer a work-study opportunity, which are are essentially part-time jobs offered Mm -hmm. on campus. And no one's stopping you from getting a part-time job off campus as well. Um, you know, you can work at as you know waiting tables or even finding a retail job that can bring in some kind of cash to help offset some of those school expenses. Um, consider even creating your own um, side business using your skills, maybe tutoring other students, maybe picking up some freelance gigs, start a pet sitting service. You know, there are a lot of great options to generate income while you're in school. And the other piece of that puzzle, Steve, is, you know, going maybe to a local college for a year or two or that's, three. I think that's a key in today's world is go local, stay home if you can, get two years under your belt. You know, I mean, if you get the Hope Scholarship or the Life Scholarship, you know, and so depending on what state you live in, that usually covers the tuition, mm-hmm. um, you know, locally. So you're pretty much covered those first two years. So you get through the first two years without any problem at all in terms of finances. Then you can, you know, transfer to USC, to Clemson, someplace like that in state. And then you can, you know, work on, you know, getting a part-time job and, you know, using the savings maybe that you created those first two years. That's what I did whenever I went to, to Clemson. Mm-hmm. I, I worked and worked summers and, you know, I got some great jobs, worked hard, but I yeah. saved a lot of money. Plus I worked while I was in school too, yep. part-time yep. just yep. a little Me bit too. Too. and uh, earned money and came out with pretty much no debt. Yep. So yeah, that's a great, great point. Um, the next one here is eventually you'll make enough money to catch up on retirement. <laughs> and, yeah. I mean, you can't wait for the future when it comes to retirement. Yeah. Prepare for retirement now. Um, but make sure that you're out of debt. You have an emergency fund of three to six months of expenses before you start saving for retirement. 
Um, I disagree with that a little bit. I do think you sh- you need to get the match in your 401k plan. I think you, it's free money. You got to contribute enough to get the match. So get you get your basic emergency fund, get that match, um, but then don't save anything else above that for retirement until you get these other things taken taken care of, like he mentions here. And after that, you're ready to start building for your future. Don't put off preparing for retirement if you're able to start today, according to the AICPA, 49% of non-retired Americans say they aren't comfortable or they aren't confident they're, uh, that they'll reach their retirement goals. And the more that you save now, the less you'll worry about, about it later. Chris Hogan explains how to retire with dignity in his national bestseller, Retire Inspired. It's not an age, it's a financial number. Um, so a great book, yeah. that's a good resource for yeah. you. Yeah, so start now. I mean, that's the takeaway from that one. And the last myth here is you already keep track of your money, so you don't need a budget. Uh, the truth is, you know, you may go online and know how much you're, you have in your bank account, and that's good, that's a piece of the puzzle, but that's not a budget. I mean, when you start tracking your spending, you're looking back at how you've already spent your money. Um, but when you do a budget, you're looking forward. You're planning how you're going to spend it in the future. And when you do this... You can prioritize paying off debt, saving for you know your emergency fund, and planning for the future. Without a plan, you're just wandering aimlessly through your paycheck, and it's going to just like seep out of the crack. So, uh, you, you know, you don't have to keep falling into these money myths. I mean, reshape your belief system today, positively change your future. If you have questions about your specific situation, feel free to give us a call here at the office, or uh, certainly send us an email, and we'll be more than happy to help you. Yeah, and take the next step and actually create a financial plan for retirement. You know, I mean, beyond these myths, a lot of people have kind of have the myth, I think, that um, that they'll worry about that when they get there, you know, in their mid-50s, they'll start looking at retirement. Um, you need to do a plan early. You need to have a plan, make sure you're on track. You need to check the check. You need to have certain checkpoints um, on your path to retirement to make sure you're, you're on that track. So, uh, you know, don't fall into the myth of believing that, that you can wait on that until you're almost retired. So great topic. And that leads up here to our final thing. And that is the prescription of the week. Yeah, Steve, the, the markets have done pretty well um, this year, certainly the last 12 months. Um, so it might be good, a good time to look at your accounts and do some rebalancing. So um, there's certain segments of the markets this year that have made upwards of 25%. And so maybe take a little piece of that and put it into some bonds, that may be a good place for it. If you're all aggressive, maybe put it into some other segments of the market that haven't done as well. So just looking at periodic rebalancing is a prescription. Yeah, and we do that automatically for our clients. You know, as you mentioned, emerging markets is up over 25% this year. That would be a great sector, a great asset class to rebalance out of and Mm -hmm. rebalance into some that are down, like, you know, small stocks, Mm -hmm. U.S. small stocks that are down this year. So... Um, that rebalancing will help you down the road and it'll keep you at the right risk level. Yeah. So we, a, and no one knows which one's going to do best you know, right. next. So, but when something's done that well, then, you know, taking a little piece of it and putting it into another area, um, probably is prudent. Absolutely. So great, great, uh, prescription of the week. All right. Well, this has been this week's edition of Money MD. Tune in next week to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. Do check us on our website, moneymd.net. And email us your questions. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at info at moneyandd.net or you can link to us directly on our website, um, moneyandd.net. Uh, 
give us a call, Richard Young Associates, 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening and have a great rest of the week. Have a good one. This program contains general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. This broadcast is not a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. SmartVestor Pro is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor.